Welcome to It's Not About the Money, a podcast in search of grounded fundraising. I'm Heather, and together with my co-host, Andy, we look beyond the quick tips and formulas. Join us as we explore the nuance and complexity of ministry fundraising. If you want to thrive in partner development, not just survive it, this is the place for you. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Today, we are in studio to recap the conversation we had with PG on spiritual warfare and prayer. And today we have another special guest who will remain unnamed. We'll call him Bob, simply because he also works in sensitive areas, and we want to protect that. So Bob works as a director over overseas staff in holistic support, which includes fundraising, which includes member care. Bob also has his license in professional counseling. So for a variety of reasons, we thought that his would be a great voice to bring into this conversation as we recap the episode with PG. Bob, before we get started, anything else we should know about you? Yeah, I'm just happy to be here with you guys. Really enjoyed the podcast. It was fascinating to listen to. I always enjoy hearing from him. So it was a fascinating topic and um, something I really enjoy thinking through carefully how how the spiritual realm affects all that we do. So yeah, I mean, that's something I have to consider regularly in my role. Mm. What's the impact? What's the unseen the unseen realm, if you will, involved in how we need to deal with this layer of support for our people or, you know, interpersonal issue that's going on. So I think it, it applies in a lot of different areas directly related mm-hmm. to my role. Mm-hmm. Can you give us the the short version of how you got to this point in your life, to this role? Yeah, I have a, a pretty varied background having uh, served with Uncle Sam and, uh, also had a background in, in both finance and, uh, as you say, in, in professional counseling. Mm-hmm. So lots of different layers of how uh, we have to support people in the field uh, that was conducive to stepping into this role and making sure people have the, the you know, primary layers of support that they need, as well as the nuanced layers of care that are really important to sustainability. Mm-hmm. What would you say is the primary thing about your role that kind of consumes most of your attention? Would you say that's like member care? Is that something that our listeners might be able to wrap their minds around? Yeah, I would say member care and then just uh, safety factors Mm, in the field. So logistics and safety would be two significant factors. Great. So let's jump into the episode. I'm curious to know what, from a broad perspective at first, maybe what stood out to you? I think one thing that lots of things stood out to me, but one in particular that comes to mind first is uh, when uh, he was talking about the, the, the different voices. Yeah. Um, and I was thinking about how that applies to lots of different contexts, but in the support raising sense, when he talked about those, those three different voices, you know, hearing the voice of the world, mm. uh, hearing the voice of the flesh and hearing the voice of the enemy. Yeah. Um, and so there's the way that he kind of broke that out. I thought that was really useful yeah, and really helpful um, rather than, you know, just painting spiritual warfare with a, b- a broad brush and the whole right. devil made me do it type of narrative around that. Right. Um, because that seems to be a, a pretty significant tension that people hold, right? Like, well, should I err on the side of the devil made me do it? Mm-hmm. Or should I err on the side of, no, this is just my, my flesh. And, you know, for him to nuance it into all three. I thought was really useful and see how they kind of work together and play off one another. Yeah. That was significant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's 
far later in the episode, but I think he even says something like, we all think that we're the only person feeling this way, but in reality, a lot of people yes. hear these scripts, a lot of people struggle with these voices. I think that's so important to remember also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think also how he pointed out that oftentimes that that voice of our flesh and the voice of the enemy are saying pretty much the same thing. Right. And to be able to, to break it out, but also identify how it overlaps, mm-hmm. I think is really helpful because otherwise people are are struggling with it. Well, is that the, is that the enemy accusing me or is that my flesh in, in this like self-defeating cycle? And so to know that they're, they're distinct, but also overlap and often saying the same thing, mm-hmm. I think in some ways that's liberating in terms of how we conceptualize mm-hmm. spiritual warfare. Yeah. Very good. So I'm curious from your experience in working with people around the things they say to themselves and their mental health, I guess, do you have any insight into what someone might do with these things that they're either telling themselves from their flesh or that maybe the enemy is putting on them? Like, I guess just by way of a practical tip, how would you encourage people to deal with that? Wow. That's a, there's a lot of layers to that question. <laughs> how much I time mean, there's, do you have? Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a lot of depth we can go into that. You know, if we could, if we can kind of encapsulate that into like one pill people could take, you know, one ver- verbal pill people could take. Um, that would be worth a lot of money, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I think back to what he talked about, you know, referencing the passage around uh, power and love and a sound mind. You know, I think the the other passage that comes to mind pretty consistently is taking thoughts captive. And so I think, mm. you know, taking thoughts captive to what's true seems to me the most fundamental key concept in terms of the warfare we engage with and in terms of the battle for our mind. Mm. And so to recognize what's actually true. How do you know what's true? We can only know what's true by being anchored to what he tells us. Right. Yeah. And so that's the, that's the methodology for taking thoughts captive is saying, Hey, what does he say is true about me? What's true about this situation? What's true about what he's called me to. Mm. And that seems to be the, the mechanism that we can rely on. So I would hope people would take that mm-hmm. as a, as mm-hmm. a key takeaway. Yeah, to take that practical tip one step further and just encouraging you to, you know, if you have these thoughts coming to mind, write it down and then maybe write down conversely what what he says about it, what the word says about mm. that and speaks mm. to that. So, because sometimes wherever the message is coming from, whether it's the world, the flesh or the enemy, they just kind of circle around in our heads. And I think that just the tactile writing it down, identifying Getting it out of just kind of the thought space can be really yeah. practical and helpful. Yeah. So, Good. yeah, definitely. I do have some more thoughts about what stood out to me personally, but I, I kind of want to pursue this line of questioning with Bob. Can you speak to this issue, maybe this tendency for Christians to try to explain away, to rationalize, to secularize spiritual warfare? Yeah, you know, when I was listening to the podcast, I was thinking about how he talked about his experience overseas mm-hmm. and some of the things that they saw, the kind of assault on team and the disunity that was kind of fomented by that spiritual warfare. Yeah. And one of the things I was thinking about was how our theological framework is so shaped by our cultural framework. Mm. And if right. if we're seeing these overt examples of spiritual warfare, that has to shape our theological framework of how we view spiritual warfare. And so when spiritual warfare is more subtle, 
um, it seems like it's harder for that to have a, a place in our theological mm, framework to crystallize. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's where my thinking goes is, um, there's so much pressure from these statements or these ideas from the world mm. that lends itself towards naturalistic explanations yeah. for things. Mm. So if you have disunion in your team, um, our own cultural context would tend to want to see that just based on interpersonal dynamics or people's different Enneagram numbers right. or these <laughs> right. types your of things. Briggs or your, yeah. Exactly. Rather than, hey, does the enemy want us to be disunified? Absolutely. Yeah. Are we are we less effective in what we're called to do when we're dis, disunified? Mm. Um, so, I mean, I think that that's some of those natural pressures from within our culture yeah. that I feel like I've seen is we just default to looking for a natural explanation for everything. It's almost like one of those three voices is louder depending on what culture you're from. Yeah. It could be. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, I've heard people describe it where spiritual warfare can be a more overt in a cultural context where there's already openness to the spiritual world. Right. And in the West, that's not part of our cultural narrative. Nope. Our right. cultural narrative is science doesn't allow for that. Yeah. So I, I think there's just, even even within Christian circles, it feels like there's this, this default to, well, let's only go there if there's absolutely no explanation remaining. Right, right. where it's completely obvious. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Yeah, and whether there's an overt attack from the spiritual realm, I think we could confidently say that there that there is a spiritual element to the battle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I think across like lots of different theological frameworks, that's true. And so rather than thinking of spiritual warfare only in that one exclusive sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So this is kind of pivoting away to a different element that I found interesting, but I just really love that he puts such an emphasis on it all comes down to God's work, but it's not in the absence of our work. Yes. Yeah, it's not uh, necessarily directly linked to any particular effort uh, that we make. There's not like a one-to-one ratio. Right. We still have to work, but he just kind of comes in from the peripheral sometimes or from the sides and this completely surprises us. That was encouraging, I thought. Yeah, I thought so too. I also really loved the analogy he gave of co-laboring, of like this, the, the father in his garage welcoming in his little five-year-old son. As soon as I heard that, I started using that in my own coaching. Mm. That just is so perfect because he, am I really useful in the garage? I mean, maybe a little bit, maybe I can sweep up and clean up or something, but in the end, he's doing all the work. Um, that was just, and maybe he, maybe he graduates me at some point to something a little more important, but at the end of the day, he just wants me to, to be with him and to be with me. Yeah. Because I guess in contrast, you know, a little bit farther in the episode, he talks about Ezekiel in the field of dry bones. Mm -hmm. And, and when he's talking about that, we very much feel the weight of not, not the, the burden of it coming down to us to to make something happen, but just seeing the weight of responsibility that it is to to do God's work in this world, mm -hmm. right? Like it matters. Yeah. yeah, I guess it is a tension of you know understanding God doesn't need us in a lot of ways. We're the we're the child with Him in the garage, but then also the work He gives us is actually very meaningful. Yeah, 
it was very meaningful for those skeletons in the valley. Yeah. Yeah. I think about the, uh, going, tying that together with the idea of the, those three voices. I think about how he accuses, right? Like going back to the garden, like, did did he really say that? Yeah. Did you really say that? And, uh, how easy for those lies to creep in to say like, oh, are you really going to be useful? Mm. Like, How useful are you really in that setting? Or even in that analogy, well, if, if God's really doing the work, mm. how useful are you really going to be? Or right. are you really needed? Or are you just a pawn? Or yeah. there's all these accusatory statements that can start to creep in. Mm. And to, to recognize that as spiritual warfare mm-hmm. rather than just a way to correct our thinking. But mm. we actually have a... a a theological framework for how that's overtly spiritual warfare. Mm-hmm. Bob, what else uh, stood out to you? Anything else stand out to you? One thing that he talked about was praying for more love. Mm. And yeah. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that he talked about praying for more love for others in the context of spiritual warfare. Yeah, And I think about taking thoughts captive and then some of the like, cultural pressure that we have to, for lack of a better term, kind of surrender to your feelings. Sure. And that's kind of a cultural value that we have is that your feelings really matter and your feelings do matter, but yeah, Yeah. there's a risk of them being paramount or even idolized. Yeah. If we're not careful, we could fall into a trap of, Hey, this is just how I feel. And so maybe I'll pray for, Hey God, help me to behave in such and such a way, in spite of my feelings. Sure. And that's good yeah. too. But I thought that was an interesting thought, the way he brought that up of praying for love, which is like basically change my heart. Yeah. And sometimes that's like, change the way I feel, mm. like change my feelings about this. Yeah. I thought that was a compelling idea. The other thing I really like about that is that it's, for as much as this work will require reflection looking inward, understanding the things you're hearing and believing. There's also an element of, you know, praying for love for others is outward looking. And it, I guess it just reminds me of this booklet I read recently, um, actually by Tim Keller, who Mm. as of the recording of this podcast has just passed away. Yeah. Really an incredible man with a lot of incredible things to say, but he wrote this little booklet called the freedom of self forgetfulness. And I actually think that there's just, man, so much rest that comes in being self-forgetful and being others-focused. And I think that that talking about praying for love for others and just really just thinking of, you know, when we find ourselves stuck, just thinking of the rest and blessing it can be to serve others or be others-focused and Mm. not to the detriment of not dealing with your stuff, but it's just, yeah. That's a really good point. I completely agree with you. I don't know if you'd realize this, but uh, after I've been working with someone for four months, I will send them that booklet. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah cool. Yeah, just for a moment to kind of re to kind of pause and kind of reevaluate and recenter like what this is really all about. When you say after you've been working with someone, you mean specifically in coaching yes. around fundraising? Yes, right. Yeah, right, excellent. Right. Yeah, that's great. Another thing that I thought was really cool because I just I just love hearing his uh his thoughts about so many different things. But one thing I thought was cool was I maybe it was a very implied question. Mm. But to me, there was this implied question that was like, have we made the the promise of a country 
calling, mm. something that's kind of idolized or something that we have like developed a, a special theological framework about. Mm. I feel like I've seen that quite a bit. Um, that just feels kind of natural and normal yeah. within most of our theological framework. But I thought it was interesting how he challenged that mm-hmm. and said that you may not actually be entitled to that. Mm. You may not actually receive that as a specific sense of calling and that's okay. Yeah. Your sense of calling may be just a, a direction on a compass. Yes. And you know that he's called you to the nations. And so go West young man. Yeah. <laughs> Shout um, out Smitty. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Old school. Yeah. Hmm. I would say just anecdotally that I do see that. I see, I feel like 75% just off the top of my head, uh, don't have a specific call to a specific place when I start working with them. Mm. And they're just kind of, uh, we, we talk about the difference between like a, a Pauline call and a, and a Ruth type of call, like it just, or even like a Luke saying, it just seems good to me to do this. That seems like it's more often than not. Mm. That was my experience as well, ending up in East Asia. That wasn't really a place that was on my heart or my wife's heart. But as soon as we got over there, the Lord gave us a heart for them. And we fell in love with those people. And then when it was time to go back overseas, that was like not a no-brainer, but almost a no-brainer. Well, that's encouraging to see or hear that you've seen that quite a bit. And I guess I would hope that people listening to that podcast would maybe be encouraged by that that maybe they are struggling with I'm supposed to have a sense of calling to a specific people group or a specific country mm-hmm. and maybe to just rest in that it's okay that you don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe people feel the burden like they should, or maybe, maybe people even feel the pull towards what can feel more comfortable or controllable mm-hmm. around kind of knowing yeah. exactly where you're headed. Right. It feels good. To, yeah, to oh, have yeah. a clear direction. Yeah. But you're right. We're not entitled to that. He doesn't guarantee us that. Right. Just to kind of take the next step and this is where he wants you to go. Yeah. yeah. I loved that he pointed out that fundraising, support raising, isn't related to a scheming mindset, mm. but more to a relational one. Really, really helpful for people who just kind of have a certain perspective of fundraising in their head, like that kind of that backslapping uh, car salesman that we've talked about before. I don't think this means necessarily though, that we aren't strategic and that we aren't intentional, but maybe that those things are really a vast kind of second fiddle to it's about relationships. It's about mobilizing the body of Christ, that kind of stuff. So that was helpful for me. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know, I think from a couple of his examples, we can see that the Holy spirit does a lot of strategic work, right? He told a story about how he spoke with a missions pastor at a church and just kind of felt the spirit lead him to talk specifically about this one family that wasn't going to make it. It wasn't something he typically did, but in that circumstance he did. And the guy kind of responded and got back to him and the the family was able to go, right? right? Or in another example he gave, I think it was the example where he was supposed to make a phone call and he was like, I really don't want to do that. Please help me, God. <laughs> right, yeah. And then the guy called him yeah. and was like, hey, our mutual friend told me you have a need and I'm going to show up yeah. and give you $100,000 a year. So I don't know. That sounds pretty strategic on the spirit's part. Yeah, and I always, I, I appreciate his candor. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. And all of that and just the vulnerability and, yeah. and admitting like I didn't have all my ducks in a row and I didn't even want to do this. I think he called it the something like the success of his disobedience. Yeah. Or something like something that. Like, that. like yeah. it wasn't it wasn't a feather in his cap. Yeah. That's yeah. Good. But absolutely cool to see how, man, God shows up and provides for what he's purposing to do mm-hmm. yeah. despite us. Yeah. Yeah, and even in his, uh, what he called his like poor or meager attempt, he was still taking a step forward. Yeah. Right, he was, he was maybe taking the weasel way out uh-huh. in a sense. Yeah. But he was still taking a step forward. He was still trusting Yeah, God saying like, I don't think I can do it. You're going to have to bring him to me. Mm. I think that's so helpful and healthy for us to hear him say that because I think there is like this myth of the missionary hero mm. This kind of like idolized, idealized, posterized, you know, version of somebody like standing triumphant on a pillar saying, look what I've done for the kingdom of God. And that's just not the way it is. Bottomless boldness. Yeah, right, right, right. Well, and really, you know, we talk so much about how this is a season of formation. I mean, are we comfortable with saying maybe God allows even that kind of half-hearted attitude to form you Mm. and to shape you into... Mm -hmm the heart he wants you to have. You know, I remember our guest saying that um, to direct quote him, I probably had the least amount of faith of anyone I could imagine when starting this. Mm. And now I can look someone straight in the eye and say, Hey, if he wants you to go, nothing like finances will stop you. That was formed in him Mm -hmm. through experiences over time. And I just think that that is such a great picture of what God is up to in this process. Yeah. All right. Anything else? I think the last thing is kind of related to that. My takeaway was stop worrying about winning people over and like working on your pitch and polishing it and making it just perfect and start realizing that based on your ministry and the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, you are a good investment. Mm. And there are people within the body of Christ that are looking for that. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'll just sneak this in at the end before we wrap up. But to that point, our guest talked about how we spend a lot of time in our heads around this random question that somebody might ask us that mm. that we don't know how to answer or or feeling like maybe they'll come at us with something that, that we're not prepared for. And I loved his encouragement. It was just like, don't worry about that or those people. They're yeah. probably not the people that yeah. are going to be coming alongside you in this. So don't spend all your time preparing for that. Yeah. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. Any final takeaways for us, Bob? I think another thing that was just encouraging that maybe I'll close with as far as my thoughts. Yeah. I think he did a good job of presenting the idea that as we step out in faith and as we seek him in prayer, that how he intervenes or how he changes our heart or our circumstances very often aren't what we expect. Right. And maybe one tangible example of that is I remember him talking about how at a specific example of spiritual warfare in an East Asian country, and he said something to the effect of the dreams still came, but they lost their sting. Mm. And just thinking how when we seek him, his solution isn't isn't often our solution. Our mm. solution would be no more dreams like that. Yeah. But the way he provided for them 
supernaturally was what they needed. And so I think that's just was a really encouraging takeaway. Yeah. He, he, he knows what we need. Yeah. I think personally, just keeping in mind that Satan or the Satan is a role player. He doesn't have any authority that wasn't given to him. And I think we can get into this misconception that there is this great cosmic battle that is happening over our souls and that, you know, us using terms like the enemy doesn't really help. And that's what the Bible uses that too, but it generates this kind of false notion that the two warring parties are an equal standing. Or that the outcome's uncertain. Or that the outcome's uncertain. Exactly. And this, if you can call it a battle, it's, it's one, it's over. Um, The devil doesn't do anything that isn't given him that he doesn't have clearance to do. So I think we have to really embrace that reality. Like we work for the victor. Yeah. The days leading up to the victory can very much feel disorienting, Mm -hmm. but we are able to stand up under them by remembering what is true about the outcome. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Bob, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right, we'll see you guys next time. It's Not About the Money is presented by Provisio Fundraising Solutions. Provisio equips support-based workers with flexible training, practical resources, and one-on-one coaching. Find out more at provisiofundraising.com.